0: hello and welcome to secondhand film critics your favorite source for mildly pretentious semi-uneducated and highly unqualified opinions on movies i am kayla and i'm here with my co-host
1: noah and we got another triple feature set up today so it's been a bit since we've done one of those so very exciting kayla do you want to introduce our guest for today
0: yeah we have another fan of being featured on the pod, so we're at three now. what what <laughs> So this is my older brother, Zachary.
2: Hello, I am the older brother Zachary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's funny because we haven't had you on the podcast yet in the what um year over year and a half that we've been doing it, but you knew about the podcast and everything. Uh, when we were first talking about starting it and going over name ideas and tagline ideas. Yeah. So it's like you've been here for the journey. Long time listener, first time caller.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly.
0: Cool. So do you want to just kick right off and tell us kind of a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do?
2: Sure. Um, Who am I? What do I do? Um, Well, I work in film and theater stuff, mostly in theater, doing scenic work. Um, I got my degree in theater and worked in the shop, mostly painting and building, and then professionally, I've done mostly that in Philadelphia, some in Indiana, and now living in L.A., if you're a listener of the pod, you heard my wife, Kristen, on and heard her talk a little bit about uh, us coming to L.A. and stuff like that. And right now, not much is going on, obviously, <laughs> with COVID and the film industry and the theater industry definitely closed indefinitely. Other than the scenic work, I tend to do a lot of background work, which is not very exciting, but it's just a regular part-time job in LA for a lot of people, where you can be a background in random things. There's usually somewhere around a thousand people doing background every day in LA, and then more doing that in New York, Chicago, Atlanta, New Orleans now. And that's pretty cool and interesting because it definitely gives you a taste of what being on a film set is like. It seems like a good stepping stone that a lot of people do. And it's nice because it can be a part-time job and it's a lot easier than waiting tables or... Mm. Right now, of course, there's a lot less of that happening because they're trying to limit as many people on set as possible. It's very expensive for productions because it costs about $100 to test per person per test. And so when you're hiring people to do background, the non-union day rate, I don't know if this is interesting to you guys, but the (laughs) non-union day rate is 120 Mm. for eight hours. And then they have to double that cost essentially by getting a COVID test for all of those people. And then they also have to pay you for your time to go get the test. And right now the film industry is just so high stakes so being on set is probably the safest place in America that you could be <laughs> right now because everybody on film sets have been tested like crew 3 times a week or more then all the background all the actors are all being tested constantly even after you've been tested and test negative if you show up and have any symptoms of any kind or get your temperature checked and it's over the threshold then You don't film that day. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it affects like future smaller film productions, just budget wise, to the people who really don't have uh, the same kind of budget as something like, you know, Jurassic World, which is filming right now. They have the kind of budget and money to put into doing all the COVID testing and safety precautions. And then you kind of look at smaller films and it's like, do they have that? Uh, kind of same possibility of you know making sure the sets are functioning and safe and
2: yeah, and they're estimating that television shows are costing an extra eight to ten million dollars per mm. season just on testing and
0: yeah, which is safety
2: crazy. precautions, sanitary products.
1: So you definitely might see, like, episodes in the future of TV shows have a lot more limited uh, casts involved, you know, a lot less big plot lines try to stick
2: to the more smaller
1: stuff, uh, which will be interesting. It's like you can kind of try to draw the parallels between those.
2: Yeah, and people are tending to rearrange their shooting schedules rather than shoot episodes in order for stuff that's going to be streaming in particular. Mm -hmm. They're shooting... They've written whole seasons, which is nice because they had COVID so they could write. And then they're shooting it in an order that makes the large scenes last. So there's less of a liability for people to catch it. Right. Yeah. That seems like a whole logistical nightmare. Uh... Yeah, it does. (laughs) I mean, yes. (laughs) 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 <laughs> it for many reasons.
0: <laughs> so, what was the first movie you watched in the movie theater? That's a question we ask pretty much every guest that comes on for anything.
2: Yeah, so the mm-hmm. first one that I saw in theaters was Balto. Oh. And do you remember anything about it or Not really. I, what I remember is standing like on the sidewalk in front of the theater looking up at the theater. And seeing like the lights of the theater outside and like I have a very vivid memory of that and feeling like that was really cool. And like seeing the marquee and it was in my mind very bright and shiny and cool. But I don't remember being in the movie theater mm. or watching the movie.
0: Because <laughs> you would have been what like three? Yeah,
2: th- yeah, I think so three or
1: four i think most people yeah when we ask them this the biggest thing that the biggest like correlation is just like size things you know like the size of the screen or how big the sound was felt or like you said like the marquee and everything so i think that is a lot of people's first impression is just how big everything feels one because you're uh like two feet tall or whatever. And then also because
2: it's just like it is big.
1: And you're not used to seeing things that are that uh huge. So I think it's definitely an impactful kind of thing.
0: It's funny that both of us our first movies were about sled dogs.
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say that because I distinctly remember when we went and saw Snow Dogs. Snow
0: dogs, yeah, which was my first movie.
2: And it feeling really funny that those were the two first movies. Yeah, even though yours was
0: animated, it's just funny, Mm. funny coincidence. So you've been watching during quarantine, going through all of the Disney animated features you and Kristen have. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah,
2: it was very, like, serendipitous that we started that project so, when Disney Plus came out, we kind of made it a personal project to watch through all the Disney animated theatrical releases. And so we started that in November, last November, when Disney Plus came out, and only watched maybe three or four before COVID. March. <laughs>
1: hmm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, our rate was like one a month. Yeah. And then COVID happened, and now we only have eight to go. Wow. Eight, eight to ten to go. The one we just watched was we just hit Inside Out and The Good Dinosaur. Gotcha,
1: gotcha. Yeah, you made a lot of progress, man.
2: Yeah, it was, it's, it's been such an interesting way to experience them all because I think there's only been one or two that each of us hadn't seen before Mm -hmm. there were a little bit more that I hadn't seen. So I hadn't seen sleeping beauty, Pocahontas or hunchback. And then Kristen hadn't seen, uh, some of, I don't know, some of the oldest, oldest ones that were just kind of shorts all compiled into one theatrical release. And then she hadn't seen chicken little, were the wild. Neither of us had seen Mars Needs Moms. Oh, man. There are some (laughs) real doozies in the early 2000s. But it's been interesting to watch how the style has changed. And like when you're watching them all in an order of their release in such a short amount of time, you can see the trends in the culture. You can see the trends in their success as in like they had no money during this period and then they had a lot of money during this period so they you know put out tons of movies or like their focus of stories changing or like different tropes that they got stuck on for a decade or so it's just been such an interesting way to experience them in a new way.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, people have already, like, I don't know what you call them, Disney historians. Uh, like, they've already, like, labeled, like, sections of, like, Disney's animated history. You know? Right. Um, and so there's obviously, like, something you can really get out of watching them in order. Because you see, like, okay, so this was the movie that kind of capped off this era. And then this was the movie that, like, you can see it kind of shift into a new direction. Yeah, um, for sure. Which is cool, yeah.
2: But it feels very weird to have like come close to the end now. I bet, yeah. And the last several so we're doing the theatrical animated releases, we there are like six studios though that are under Disney. So like Pixar, Ghibli, they have their toon studios which so of those like smaller ones besides Pixar, right. we have kind of picked a couple to right. watch yeah. and you, some uh, not to watch. So like... Planes, Fire, and Rescue. Did you uh, cue that no, one up? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> and also, Planes was not on Disney Plus yet for some reason. Yeah. Wow. Uh, maybe,
1: for, maybe for the best. Yeah.
2: So there's been a couple that we haven't watched. Fox and the Hound 2, Recess, School's Out, Lion Dug- King Dug- 1 Doug's movie... yeah lion king one and a half
1: as you go you get more and more fluff like in the beginning it's like it seems more just like one studio and then as their history goes on they just acquire more and more things and it's like okay this is more seeming just like uh... and it's
2: also interesting right now i didn't really realize how little disney animation studios is putting out stuff
1: compared to other
2: decades Right now, the bulk of what we have left is Pixar, and we only have, like, three actual Disney animation studios left. Yeah, Yeah,
0: and I I mean, I can't even really think of anything that they've put out. I mean...
2: Yeah, the last ones are Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen 2, I think that's Yeah, which is,
0: like... There's so, so few, and also, like, just basically the bigger money makers.
2: It yeah, and then like they're making also in, in that era, we still have Toy Story 4, Onward, mm-hmm. um, Cars Cocoa. 3, Coco.
0: Which are all three. Pixar. Which are all yeah,
2: Pixar. Right.
1: Yeah, and I used to be the opposite. Like, Pixar used to be, like, one a year, like, at the same time, and then Disney was, animation was, like, the filler. And now it seems like the other way around like they didn't even have one slated for this year um it was just soul which is pixar so
2: well and it's interesting because during the 90s uh once the little mermaid had so much success in 89 they said we are going to put out one major movie every year in the 90s and they did that for every year in the 90s except for one and now they're movies are like (laughs) two to three years apart
1: yeah times change so last question uh we usually ask before we'll get into like your three movies is what makes a movie great for you basically so it seems simple but you can also get pretty existential
2: (laughs) yeah i was trying to think about this and as i was going through movies to pick to talk about one big trend in movies that i like often have to do with young characters and movies about growing up or also dark movies um Mm. dark comedies it's hard for me to really say exactly what i like i like thriller but not horror i like comedies but not like slapstick your classic growing up tale Coming of age, yeah. Coming Mm -hmm. of age. But I also like really tragic stories, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That are funny with some heart. It seems
1: like what I'm getting is maybe like you, like, I feel like this was me maybe a little too. Like, I like a lot of different genres of movies, but I also like them to be like quality stories. Mm -hmm. So I don't like, I like horror, but I don't want it to just be like a one note jump scare kind of thing. Um, I like a little bit of depth uh like I mean every now and then I can watch well, like a fun thing, mm-hmm. but if i 'm going truly for like what I really like it's when someone it can be any genre but makes a movie that has uh some depth to it you know and i can find I can find that in any type of genre as long as it's there
2: mm-hmm and I tend to follow movies more by the people that are involved than like the genre of them mm-hmm I tend to gravitate towards certain directors or certain actors or writers. And then when I find a movie by like a certain group or team or writer, I tend to look up the rest of their movies and try to watch them.
1: Which is similar to the Disney thing, because then you're like seeing the evolution Mm -hmm. of them, uh, which is always fun. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, we've done a lot of uh, director watching uh, this year so far.
1: Yeah, we have. Yeah,
0: and it's always really interesting to see like between the movies.
2: Yeah, that's kind of one of our next projects after our Disney one is done. We have a list of some directors that we're going to try to work through.
1: So I think what we'll do now is we'll go into a quick ad break. And when we come back, we'll have your triple feature all set up.
0: and we're back so we've got a triple feature lineup for you here from our very special guest zachary fanoff and basically if you haven't listened to a triple feature episode before the gist of it is that we have a guest uh who is also a normal secondhand film critic like us who comes on and talks about three movies that could be anything, movies they love, movies that they've enjoyed, uh, specific movie series. Uh, it it, it <laughs> can be whatever the guest chooses, uh, yeah. just so we can kind of get a broad range of opinions on the podcast and talk about some movies that we might not think of or might not talk about but show that movie opinions vary between people. And everyone is allowed to like whatever they like.
1: That was a good. That was a good description <laughs> of the show. Yes, perfect.
0: Cool. So Zach, you've got three uh, picks for us here. Yes. So how about you go ahead and start with your very uh, first um, film in the triple feature?
2: All right. So my first film in my triple feature is Meet Dave. <laughs> oh,
0: boy, yeah. a big one. Yeah, this yeah. is uh, the 2008 uh, comedy film directed by Brian Robbins, uh, who also directed Good Burger, Norbit, and Shaggy Dog. The, the Tim <laughs> Allen
1: Shaggy Dog. I watched, I used to watch that movie so much. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah, same. Yikes. Uh, featuring Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noah, do you want to read out the synopsis for us before we jump into a chat about it?
1: Dave is a human spaceship operated by tiny little aliens living inside of his robotic human form. The aliens are on a mission to save their own planet, destroying Earth in the process, until Dave meets Josh and Sheena, two humans who introduce him to emotions, life, and love. Will Earth be destroyed, or will Dave's newfound friends change the trajectory of his mission?
0: Wow, lots, lots going
1: on here. It's, a, it's a, it, high stakes, high stakes.
2: It's so hard for me not to just like laugh when you're reading that just because (laughs) to me this movie is the funniest movie like it's my favorite comedy by far I don't know what about it it just makes me laugh so much Mm. when I watch it and I've tried to make a lot of other people watch it and (laughs) they don't always feel the same way but I think that they never dislike it. After they've watched it.
1: Right, yeah, which makes sense. I mean, like, I think there's a levels of, like, you can maybe not buy into something, but you don't always have to, like, dislike it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. What was the first time you saw this uh,
2: movie? Uh, The first time I saw this movie, I went to the theater with our Spanish exchange student that we had one summer, Alberto. He wanted to go have, like, an American film theater experience and (laughs) so we got dropped off at the theater and I had been seeing the commercials for this one and thought it was looked pretty funny we both laughed so much he didn't speak the best English which is why he was here and he still found it extremely funny
1: yeah, and I think a lot of it, I mean, it's Eddie Murphy and I think there's level there's different types of Eddie Murphy comedy, but in this one a lot of it is very uh physical and like cuz I mean the whole point is like he can't really speak very well anyway, so you has to you get a lot of the comedy from like the things he does with his body
2: like or yeah. his facial
1: expressions especially.
2: And it's very classic fish out of water type of comedy. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like one of the oldest comedy tropes in the book. You know, Mm -hmm. you put somebody who doesn't know about the world. I mean, Elf is very similar. (laughs) Yeah. Where it's like you put this weird thing, alien creature robot in a place where they don't know what to do and make fun of real life through them by, Mm -hmm. you know, making him try to make breakfast and making him cross the street and all these things that are just typical things. but. A fish out of water. Or the trope. Old Navy, you know. Yeah. Or old the Navy. like,
0: uh, the the uh, handshake or whatever when he right. like does both hands, mm-hmm. like things that you don't, you know, think about uh, that would be funny. But then they kind of throw it in, and it's like, oh yeah, that that is kind of a funny bit. Mm-hmm.
2: The hot dog eating contest.
0: So when I think about this movie, that was the scene that I remember the most from watching it as you know, a ten year old or whatever. Mm-hmm would have been probably how old I was when I watched it. It definitely uses the kind of shock factor type stuff mm. too, where it does bits and stuff that you're going to remember just because of how ridiculous they are or how silly they are. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and I know that you guys have talked about this before, but it's a movie that wouldn't be made today. Yeah. It's a big summer blockbuster comedy with tons of big name comedians Mm -hmm. and like a lot of them when they were in this were kind of at their prime too like ed helms was right in the middle of the office when he did this kevin hart Hart. was just coming up big eddie murphy elizabeth banks Gabrielle Union.
0: Yeah, that whole era of, like, 2000s comedies. Mm. uh, Because we talked about that on the episode Kristen was on, Mm -hmm. too, about, I think she talked about Date Night, where it's, like, that kind of stuff just isn't really made anymore.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's uh, even different than this one a little, because this is, like, a PG 2000s comedy, which is, like, a whole other can of worms that you can open if you're thinking about mo- like looking through movies like i mean it's obvious had to do a lot of inter like set design for this because they have to like figure out how they want the inside of like the ship to look mm-hmm. and they've got to kind of make it look like uh a human if that makes sense like the ins like all the br- like the brain in the sit- station so there's a lot like going on that they would have to put money into to create this so like i think it's definitely true that this probably wouldn't be made especially just in the same way today if it was
2: well and it's also very referential of other things and so like they had to probably license a lot of pop culture as mm-hmm. well to put it in the movie like different songs or different other like they show a significant like scene from it's a wonderful life photos i love new york people yeah
0: it's interesting that eddie murphy hated this movie so much
2: yeah did he hate because, it when
0: it came
1: out or was it like a um, retrospective thing
0: i i think i think both because it 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 didn't do super great in the theaters i don't think yeah it didn't like, sell as well as they thought
2: that it was um, going to
0: because he was given the critics choice lifetime achievement award uh, this past awards season. And he even said like in his, I believe it was his acceptance or like award speech or whatever. He was like, if I could give one advice, it's like to never play a spaceship or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> that movie's funny. What are you talking about? It's also
2: really incredible acting to me.
0: Well, cause he plays like more than one role.
2: Yeah. And the act of playing the spaceship is very specific it's a it's very Mm. specific like physical comedy that he typically doesn't do in his other comedies so right i don't know maybe that's part of why he didn't like doing it as much
1: (laughs) yeah i mean it's definitely a different role for him because it's less witty And and like language based humor and Mm -hmm. more like visual humor. I have I literally watched it yesterday for the first time, but I remember seeing for the the poster of it, uh, when it came out, and I think like the idea of it just really stuck with me. I think just because you see the poster and it's like these little people living in this big like this person, and I think that's like a really actually smart idea, um, of like this kind of uh, crew controlling a person in real life, mm-hmm. uh, but the people in real life don't know that, like, they're controlling him. Like, just as a kid, I think that just struck me as a really funny and clever idea. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of, like, Inside Out before that was a thing. I mean, a lot more physically in him, but uh, still, like, having people inside of you, like, controlling.
2: Yeah, and the control know, panel guess. and looking through, like, their eye camera mm-hmm. thing. and Yeah, that's right. a funny... Comparison. It's a little Star Trek-ish as well. Yeah. With, like, yeah. they're called things, like, number one, number two, number three. Because most of the characters don't have names.
1: Uh, anything else you want to say about this? Any, like, specific stories or final thoughts?
2: Um, I don't know. I, I think it's also another movie that just has so many great one-liners, as <laughs> those comedies d- tended to have. In that time, yeah. But.
1: I think my the one I laughed the hardest at was probably the BG's joke. I don't know why. I just think I just thought it was funny, and also the old navy bit. I thought it was funny
2: too. Yeah, um trying to put on the sweater.
1: T- <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's just there are a lot of different things which I think, like even if not ev- it's not everything in it you like, there's always like a joke. I think that you'll at least find one or two of them pretty funny, which is good.
2: Yeah, I think my favorite is. Uh, he continually calls the bully smell my (laughs) all right yeah yeah yeah
0: well we'll see maybe people will will check it out now yeah this is going to
1: be the revival uh of they're going to finally make that sequel that it seems like they were trying to set up
0: all right what is your second pick for your triple feature
2: my second pick is stranger than fiction Wow, yep, This is a
0: 2006 comedy drama mm. uh, directed by Mark Foster, who directed Finding Neverland, Christopher Robin, Quantum of Solace, uh, featuring Will Ferrell.
1: Yeah. And a lot of other people, too. Like, he's always the one that is on the cover of all the posters, but I feel like there's a lot of other people in this movie as well.
2: Yeah, Emma Thompson, Queen Latifah,
1: Dustin Hoffman. Yeah.
0: Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh,
1: Kayla, what about, you want to read this one? Uh, for uh, Yeah, sure.
0: Harold Crick is living life as usual until one day someone starts narrating his life in his head. When he discovers that a famous author is writing the story of his life, which will soon end in his imminent death, he does what he can to turn the pages and go on living, finding love, learning new things, and tracking down the typing fingers of Karen Eiffel. Will Harold reach her in time and save himself, or will Harold's fate be given to the tick-tock of time decided by the tick-tack of the typewriter?
1: Oh, man. That was very clever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I thought it was cute.
1: It was funny, yeah. This is a, another interesting one, because I think, like me, Dave, it's like a character that is... Um, like he's real... But obviously, there's a level of, like, fiction, no pun intended,
2: to the characters. um, Yeah. Control, you know? And again, it's a little bit of, like, a fish-out-of-water scenario. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
2: And I think this movie is very emblematic of several other movies that I like, where it's kind of like a down-on-his-luck type of guy who... like discovers this thing he has to do and he's Mm -hmm. going on this journey of discovery and um another one that is very similar that i like is uh the secret life of walter Mitty*. very similar in tone down on his luck kind of guy who's always in his head going through something
0: Yeah, and also just the level of like uh, sort of disbelief in it where it's like something is happening that's really kind of out there too that throws its way into the story is the same with Walter Mitty and this one where it's like there's this outer lying portion of the plot line that's pushing it forward. But really it is about his sort of character journey within that um, sort of Mm -hmm. setup.
2: Mm-hmm. That it gives. Yeah, and this one is just a little more abstract than your typical one like that.
0: Yeah, right.
2: Mm-hmm. Um another one like that would be Goodwill Hunting that I really like. Yeah. Um but I love the way that they use the like effects with all the like graphic details of the yeah. time and the mm. um Just like the way that his mind is processing the world and you get to see it all visually. But then the fact that like his watch is playing such a big role Mm. is very different for those types of movies because it's almost like another character in the story.
1: Yeah. And they set it up kind of like that in the beginning. Uh, Also, like the the, I don't know what to call it, but like the like you were saying with all the the stuff that is on the screen about his mind. I think that's very, this is a 2006 movie. And I think that's a very like modern, uh, like ahead of its time kind of thing. Cause mm-hmm. like now with people trying to figure out like every movie has a different way of showing how people text yeah. or on, what's on their phones. <laughs> and so that's like one way that people do it. And I think that just having that like very like clean, electronic looking uh, s- visuals on screen is was, like, pretty ahead of its time for 2006.
2: And especially because it holds up really well. Like, Mm -hmm. the... It doesn't look like it is not from right now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right.
2: Especially in the way that the world interacts with it. Like, the bus runs into the Mm -hmm. design sometimes, or, like, they all come crumbling down. Just random ways that they allow the his inner world and the outer world to like interact
1: even in the ways like the story is set up uh they do a good job of not introducing too many things that would give away the time period mm-hmm. uh so it really like could take place in any like modern time like it could take place now you know because mm-hmm. like they don't show like a computer thing like the closest they get is showing his tv and that doesn't really you know and mm-hmm. so I think that's a really smart decision too because it turns it more into like, like, a, like a fable kind of thing which it can be applied to any time mm-hmm. uh, and you can take the lessons and kind of bring it to any time you're in and it makes it feel more like timeless.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting the director because Finding Neverland is one of my other favorite movies mm. um, and I think he strikes a very similar like storytelling tone especially in the way that there is shots that are reality and then things that are filmed that are not reality like mm-hmm. Emma Thompson's character Karen Eiffel driving off the bridge as she's like imagining yeah what how she could kill her character like you see that happen before the film explains that that's not real
0: mm mm-hmm.
2: And finding Neverland does that as well, with like the imagination of Barry and the children, and like it's just an interesting way to.
0: Yeah, we. It happens in uh, Christopher Robin, some too. Uh, yeah, 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 that's
2: true. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's, it's clearly very stylistic.
2: Yeah. It's funny, though, that his other movie is Quantum of Solace, which is not like any of those. <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, it's so different. You had to, yeah. get,
1: had to get some money, you know? One thing that I think is really good about it is the writing. I think the writing in it is is really good. And I think because it, it has to be good because it's about writing. And I think that they do a good job of drawing the line between what is she's writing like what sounds like a story and what like he's kind of doing in saying to break himself out of the story, like out of the monotonous set feeling like feeling like someone is narrating his life. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a great job with that. Cause you got to like balance a bunch of different tones
2: through words. It's always a tough ask too, for you to set up something in your story to say, this is the best blank mm-hmm. in this version, the best ending of this story. And then to right. do it, because like, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit as the audience and be like, this story is telling me that this is the best ending. Mm-hmm. And then they have to sell it for you to think right. that. And I think they yeah, do a right. good job of that in this story. Um, there are a lot of other instances of that where like some character is supposed to be an amazing singer or something, mm-hmm. or there's the stories telling you that they are like amazing at doing something X, Y, or Z. And then the other characters are like, Whoa, they're so good. But you, to, as the audience are like, uh, eh, they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, right. I think this film delivers where others don't always in saying like this is the best ending this is the most impactful way for this to happen and then i think they sell it well
1: enough well because you have to believe it because the whole conflict of the writer is that she's this great writer and she's spent like years not knowing how to end her book and so for her to come up with an ending like through the logic of the movie it's got to be something really like profound and good Mm -hmm. um even like dustin hoffman like i mean he literally is like this is one of the most important books that's ever been written where it's like okay i guess they're really trying to trying to sell the audience on this and i mean it is a good ending and i think they do a good job of building it building it throughout the the story which is uh, impressive
2: well and i think they do a good job um at like helping the audience doubt that it is the best with dustin Mm -hmm. hoffman because at the end he's like he reads the new version Mm -hmm. and he's like, well, it's not, it's good, Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: but it's not great. And then she gets to defend it, Mm -hmm. you know, in the voice of probably the screenwriter who was trying to defend it. And spoilers. um, But she is like, you know, isn't that if you're willingly going to give your life up for somebody, isn't that the person you would rather keep alive? Mm. And I don't think as an audience member, then you could disagree with that.
0: Yeah. Right. right.
2: So then it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I buy it. Yeah. That is a good Mm -hmm. story. Like that is the person that I would rather stay alive.
1: Right. Yeah. When he dies, it's like, uh yeah that that that'd probably be like a really like art artistic like ending a lot of meta- metaphorical detail but then like you can take it another way and look at it for a more like human point of view and it's like oh well that's good too and so i think it shows the nature of story where you can always look at different endings and figure in but you have to look through it through different lenses like am i think am i looking at this as like a philosophical tale or am i looking at this like it, this is a real person which that's what she learns like this is a real person and what would i want to see happen to this real person
2: mm-hmm. well and it has a lot of interesting things to say then about like destiny and fate because he does learn what his duty as a person is and goes through with it knowing that he like he doesn't shy away from doing it even though in his mind he's going to die it kind of goes along with the fable type of like lesson story that you were saying where it's like mm-hmm. you know it that is part of what makes it such a good story too
1: yeah great points i think it's a good movie um it's on netflix if and no one, if anyone listening hasn't seen it you can uh watch it now uh so yeah. there we go
2: also tony hale i forgot to mention him yeah has like three or four little scenes and he lives in the most weird apartment i think i've ever (laughs) seen in a movie yeah
0: (laughs) yeah tony hale is a podcast favorite
1: get him to that space camp doesn't matter how old he is uh so we're on our our last movie here which i think if we're trying to like draw a comparison i think you can maybe draw a comparison between the other ones but do you want to kind of reveal what the final movie in your triple feature is?
2: Yeah, so my third one is The Good Dinosaur.
1: Can't believe that's that long ago. Jeez.
2: Yeah, it seems crazy. We just watched it yesterday and
1: Good timing
0: since it came up in your yes. it was like you said it was next in your uh Disney watch list. So. Yes. So this is directed by Peter Sohn. Uh he also directed The Partly Cloudy Pixar short uh he was storyboard artist for early mid-period pixar films he voiced emil in ratatouille uh and then russell's character in up was designed based on how he looks
1: yeah (laughs) it's very fun it's kind of i think it's interesting that like uh he's obviously was in pixar for a while like he storyboarded a lot of like i think it was finding nemo was his first one he did and then he did a couple others after that so it's obvious he's been like in he was in the inner workings of pixar a lot and so he probably just pitched this one and i mean it's i'm it's obviously as we'll get into like a pretty personal story so i think it's cool like that they gave him the opportunity to make this rather than just like use another director that has already made five other pixar movies Uh, right so we uh have given a synopsis so zach why don't you read this synopsis for us here
2: all right arlo isn't like his dinosaur siblings he's afraid of just about everything he's small and shy and he's having trouble making his mark when arlo sets a cave boy free from a farm trap his father takes him out to chase down the menace stealing their food but they're met with a flash flood in the treacherous ravine after Arlo's father is devastatingly washed away and Arlo gets in a fight with Spot, Arlo must make the long journey back home. Will he be able to prove his courage and reunite with his family? Dun, dun, dun. Let's find out.
0: I'm glad that you're talking about this because I feel like Good Dinosaur needs more appreciation. It does. I
2: know. That's how I feel. I feel like not very many people saw it and people who did just kind of felt meh about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so it just it just boils down to ending up being at the bottom of people's lists, and I think a lot of that just comes from reputation now.
2: And I think what's tough mm-hmm. is that it came out the same year as Inside Out after mm-hmm. Inside Out came out. So Inside Out hit, like, early summer of 2015, and The Good Dinosaur was, like, their November release. And so it just didn't get... it. I think for a lot of people it probably felt like it was backburner Pixar film
0: and a lot more simple than because Inside Out is so high concept too mm-hmm. that you just think then there's this level of comparison uh, because the Good Dinosaur is not really a high concept film it's more of a straightforward mm-hmm. kind of storytelling uh, feature so you can definitely see how that might have affected it
2: and it's sad to think that people missed this in the theaters because Oh yeah. It, to me it's it's definitely one of the most beautiful animated films as far mm-hmm. as the scenery and um like the animation is just really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um and seeing it in film in theaters was even more incredible because mm-hmm. and we also saw it in 3D.
1: Did we? Oh.
2: And it just was like yeah so amazing
1: it's incredible yeah and i think i'm like kind of tying it back into the disney uh animated movies like if you look at them you know on a timeline i remember seeing frozen in 2013 and i think that in animation terms is like a fine looking movie even looking looking back now it's actually pretty ugly i don't think it looks very good then you look at this which is two years later and it's crazy how how just how the difference basically Mm -hmm. um and how vibrant and colorful this is all like the water effects i think that's the first time i was really impressed with like water Mm -hmm. in a 3d animated movie which i think is a theme then moving into moana and frozen 2 uh there was a couple more and i so i think this was a groundbreaking in a lot of terms in terms of animation 3d animation style
0: Yeah, and you can see even now a lot of the carryover in, like, the landscape scenes in, like, Toy Story 4, Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, where they have, like, the treetops and stuff like that. That's something that Good Dinosaur kind of laid a lot of the groundwork for. And I think
2: it helped them while they were making it. They had so much extra ability to focus on the scenery because pretty much, like, 80% of the movie is just the two main characters. Mm -hmm. and they're very simple they don't wear clothes they don't have crazy like textures they don't like as far as like animated characters they're probably two of the simplest that have been in any pixar film yeah besides maybe like the fish in finding nemo and dory (laughs) um they're just very simple
1: yeah, and then they could focus, like you said, on the scenery, on the surroundings, and the,
2: the tone and
1: color of the film, because I think that's a big part of it too. Because like, Kayla said, the story is—it's—I think it's actually, a decent story. Most people think it's not. Yeah. But I think it's—I think it's fine. I think fine. it is. Um, especially because I think it's more about like the message you get—not just from the story, but just like the tone of the film and like the feeling you get from the from the themes. And I just think it's more about. Just the thing, the collective film rather than like Inside Out, the that came a few months previously, which was very much about the story and like reading into the different uh scenes and what each character is represented. Um, they're just like complete polar opposites, which I think again is why the reception maybe
2: wasn't the greatest. Also, the name, uh, yeah, it's a pretty lame deterred. name of for a movie and it has nothing to do with any of it like yeah I, I don't know why it's called the good dinosaur
1: it seems like a temp name like they would have named it that when they were like in production yeah but then they should have maybe
2: changed it after yeah
0: yeah there's so many better things that could have been named
2: well and going back to what you were saying about the story it's very different for any pixar film and other disney films in that it's just a classic story
1: yeah, It's yeah.
2: very classic coming of age. I mean, it's straight out of the hero's journey. It's very, it's like a Western yeah, with yeah. dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> it's very similar to classic American novels um, like Huck Finn. It's kind of rem- reminiscent of traveling up the river meeting Mm -hmm. weird random people along the way like each other character only has like a little chapter in the story
1: even a little bit like lion king a bit with the father figure Mm -hmm. and then the younger son kind of finding himself on this journey Mm uh i think its biggest strength though though is that like you said it's very obviously inspired by a lot of other things um but i think it still is able to have like a very obvious heart behind it and it doesn't so and it doesn't feel um forced i guess like it doesn't feel like it is just a by the numbers film you know Mm -hmm. so it's able to like use the inspirations but also not seem like it's just uh on autopilot
0: And the score is so good.
1: Yeah,
2: it's It's, probably my favorite score for Pixar as well.
0: Yeah, I would say that between that and like Finding Nemo, it's very similar to the Finding Nemo score. Um, But it's definitely right up there. I listen to the score uh, pretty regularly, actually. Mm
2: -hmm. It's funny too, because it... Yeah, with the score and the um, visuals... I saw it in theaters right after I saw The Revenant and it felt very similar in some ways Mm. um, because of the like visuals, the score of The Revenant out in the wilderness Mm. on this journey.
0: I mean, not that the characters were as cute as uh, Arlo and Spot though, but.
2: Yeah, true. The one thing that I would say about the story which to me is kind of a story flaw is that once he gets back at the end and makes his mark his mark and what his siblings made their mark for are very different because at the beginning of the film uh the dad is like you'll do something big and make your mark and the siblings both make their mark very quickly after they like like water the field Chop down a tree and then you're done. (laughs) And it's almost like two different films because then his mark is very. Him making his mark is very abstract in that, like, he has done a thing for himself and, like, he has grown and overcome something. And at the end of the movie, it's a little bit odd because. His mom and his siblings have no idea what he's just gone through, but they're like, <laughs> Right, N- make your mark. And to them, he just like got lost and found his way back
0: and came back,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, um,
1: and also, I think it's showing like his mark is him finding himself and like coming into his own person, but that doesn't like the, his siblings didn't do that unless like watering the field makes helps you find yourself, I guess. Uh, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but yeah, it just seems like the. The qualifications for making your mark are not uh, well laid out. I would like some, yeah, contract especially or since something. that's
0: kind of the basis of the like character, where how the character growth is being measured is that conflict of, oh, he's not able to make his mark, and he mm. screwed up the one thing that was gonna make his mark, and like the whole character base is on him, you know, making that mark.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and then they're bringing back the idea of needing like validation from your father figure or your family and you know at the climax of the movie that comes back when he's stuck in the Mm. vines and then his dad shows up to him in the vision and is like you're me and more and like (laughs) that's what he wanted him to say at the beginning before he He died made his mark and then You know, I don't know. It's an interesting story. And it's very, like, heartwarming and touching. And it -hmm. goes back to what I was saying with, like, young characters doing something bigger than themselves. Um, Yeah. One from this past year that is similar to me in those ways was Jojo Rabbit. Mm -hmm. um, That just has, like, a young character who has lost a family member doing something for someone else, you know, trying to do the thing that they hate facing their fears.
1: Yeah. It's a, a, like you said, a classic uh, coming of age, finding yourself story.
2: I think it's also very clever in the way that they use dinosaur bodies in this Mm. film in like the T-Rex characters are like, cow herd people oh yeah yeah. like ranchers and they like gallop as if they're on horses and like he arlo uses his neck to climb and like his body is used as a bridge for spot Mm. i don't know they just do a lot more with dinosaurs than in other animated things like in more clever ways.
0: Yeah, that's true.
2: And the weird shaman character <gasps> who tries to name the little cave boy.
1: That is a funny scene.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of weird, like, out there stuff in this one. The shaman, the when they like the eat, drug trip. Yeah, eat the bad fruit and like. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: anything else you want to say any final thoughts um on
2: the good dinosaur anyone watch this pixar film if you haven't seen it yeah go watch it it's good yeah it's on disney plus Mhm. it's better than yeah. several other pixar films that i could think of
0: yes <laughs> that is very true very some true. some sequels
2: that were supposed to be really good and long time coming oh wow uh, oh, finding Dory and
0: incredibles 2 <laughs> Both of those are below The Good Dinosaur. Also, Cars of, uh, more 2, Pixar Cars 3.
2: Movie.
1: Cars 3. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Toy Story 4. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man, don't get anything for to come me. after For me, Toy Story
0: 4 for me. Huh? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think I have it above it, but not by much. Like
0: Yeah, I would say if you go back and revisit this, try to do it more with an open mind rather yeah. than... Uh, taking it as what everyone else, you know, says or thinks about it, kind of try to go into it with fresh ears and eyes.
2: Especially for and the, the visuals. I mean, it's like the yeah. most visually appealing Pixar film that you'll watch.
0: Yeah, I mm. agree.
1: Uh, so, yeah, that's the triple feature. We had Meet Dave, Stranger Than Fiction, and then The Good Dinosaur. Three, three very different films, uh, which is always fun.
0: Well, thanks uh, for coming on, Zach, and sharing your very wise and huh. great thoughts on three films. <laughs> just yes. like the
1: shaman and good dinosaur. Very very similar. <laughs> um, um, so yeah.
0: our next episode is going to be a potential awards talk of what we think... Uh, will potentially be coming up in the awards season. Uh, some movies that are front runners, some actors and actresses that are front runners. Um, we'll maybe talk about some 2020 movies that we've seen uh, that we're keeping our eyes on. Uh, some people who have already started their Oscar campaigns. Uh, kind of talk about Netflix and oh, companies like that who have already basically submitted. Uh, where they're going to be running certain actors uh, in supporting or lead roles, uh, mm-hmm. so we'll give you all the uh, semi-informed scoop and opinions <laughs> uh, <laughs> on the upcoming awards season.
2: Two nominations for Chadwick.
0: Yep, yes. it's going to be he, and 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 we'll see um, what 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 that'll do. I'll get the best actor nomination and. Uh, supporting actor supporting. nomination i yeah, believe yeah. yeah so we'll see we'll definitely talk about that in the yeah, episode for sure zach do you want to let people know where they might uh be able to follow you
2: yes my instagram is zach.fana so find me there i am an active user but not always an active poster <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah relatable
2: relatable yes
0: You can follow us uh, anywhere on social media. You can just search secondhand film critics and we'll come up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, uh, and then everywhere that you find your podcasts uh, to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice five-star review as well. Until next time, I'm Kayla.
2: And I'm Noah. And I'm Zach. And
1: we're we're your
2: second-hand film film (laughs) critics. Booyah.